0: Saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO Christ for You Anytime, Anywhere. Today is Thursday, September the 16th, and this next hour we study the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles with Leviticus chapter 3. Man, this has been a lot of fun to look at Leviticus, and it really does keep getting better, mainly because we often just look beyond it. And today in chapter three, we've gone from burnt offerings to grain offerings. And what a blessing that was yesterday with Dr. Adam Kuntz from Fort Wayne Seminary. And now we go to peace offerings. And I would say that of all the offerings, when I have um, looked at this, a peace offering always made sense to me simply because of the, the name. Because for all of the times that in pastoral care, talking to people about faith, something that we all seek the most is peace. And and these Old Testament offerings not only show us the depth of God's care for his people, but also shows us where true peace is found, which you cannot help but see Jesus here because he is our Prince of Peace. That's where we're appointed to this morning as the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. Lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have with us regular guest Pastor Stephen Tice, vacancy pastor at of Emanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. Pastor Tice, welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Thank you very much, Brady. It's great to be here and a chance to look at the Word of God together, reflect, and be instructed by the one who promises He will guide us into truth.
0: Amen to that. Amen to that. Pastor Ties, what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Emmanuel?
1: Well, we have, uh, coming up this Sunday at Emmanuel, we have uh, Mission Sunday, and we will have a uh, guest preacher will be present with us. Uh, Dr. Lee Hagen, the district mm. president of the Missouri District, will be preaching, having Bible study with the folks at Emmanuel this coming Sunday. Uh, so that's one of the, the upcoming things for the congregation. Um, my wife and I have wonderful family activities going on, uh, visiting with our grandchildren. We have uh, there's a wedding in our connected family this weekend, so we'll be able to spend some time visiting with, with uh, grandkids and children, and then, God willing, and everything going as planned, which rarely happens, we're going to try to get out to visit our son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren out in Jersey City um, in the next couple of weeks couple of, I will say, weeks, uh, days might be accurate, but, you know, that general ballpark.
0: Good for you. Two, Good for you. Two things come to mind as you said this is, first of all, um, to pray as uh, people do vacancies. I just talked to a pastor uh, this week at an installation and he is on his 11th vacancy since he retired. So I'm curious, how close are we uh, for you to have 11 vacancies? Are we close?
1: Uh, this would be, let me if if I count dual parishes as one, which I will because that's generally how that really works, it's uh, one, two, three. This is my fourth one.
0: But, oh, you still got a ways to go. You still got a yep, ways to go, right. Pastor.
1: You, you bet. It'll, it'll be <laughs> it'll be time down the road before I get to that one.
0: So. That's right. <laughs> Second thing is, as just your district president, Lee Hagan will be preaching at your congregation. A good reminder to our listeners in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we are separated into 35 different districts. And that's across the country. And that's they we uh, elect uh, call. District presidents to be the general overseer of our theology, our practice, and making sure that we are keeping our eyes on Christ. So continue to pray for your district president. If you are in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod for Missouri, it's Lee Hagan and Minnesota North, where I'm at, it's President Don Fondau. And so you pray for these gentlemen because there's a lot on their shoulders and, and it, it, you know, we pray that they can fix their eyes on Jesus. So uh, just a reminder for prayer there. And uh, But today we're in Leviticus chapter 3. So, Pastor, can you begin our time asking the Lord's blessings on our study and prayer?
1: Certainly. Almighty and gracious God, we ask you to turn our hearts to you by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in your word, at work in us in baptism. Enable us to focus on the promises you give in this Section on offering of peace and help us also to understand that as Christian people, we still struggle with the sin in our hearts, but that you've given us a new mind in Christ Jesus, and that through your word, you promise to continue to renew our minds, to give us the new heart that we need when sin comes to us. As we remember David's words, Create in me a clean heart. We remember what Jesus says Behold, Anyone who comes to me, I will never turn away. And so we look at Jesus as the one who is for us, the one who is our peace. He said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But in everyday life, for you and for me as Christian people, when we hear God's word, we say, Lord, give us your peace, peace the world cannot give, just as Jesus has promised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Reminder to listeners, if you have any questions concerning the book of Leviticus or our text today, either one of them, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call in 314-821-0850. 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor Tice, I I have two questions for you. The first one is, Leviticus is one of those books that we typically don't go through. If you do, this is kind of like the final straw where people are reading the Bible, they get through Genesis, they get through Exodus, and then they and then they and then they get into Numbers and they get into Leviticus. And, and Leviticus ends up not, excuse me, I'm out of order already, but you get to Leviticus okay. and it's kind of that final straw. Where you just stop reading because you're, oh it's just too much you know so my question for you is first of all have you done many Bible studies on Leviticus throughout your ministry?
1: I haven't done many. I have I have done Bible studies on Leviticus. Uh, basically, uh, part of part of looking through the, the Life Light series that you know it
0: does mm-hmm.
1: does work with that book and and then also when just working through with the uh, congregation that that we were looking at books of the Bible we went through all the books in sequence, not in depth, but we went through all the books. And I think the, the thing that uh, I did with one of the vacancy congregations is I worked through the book of Numbers, and in doing that, we would frequently refer back to Leviticus, because mm. it talks about offerings and sacrifices there as well. So the the, the mm. subsequent books of the, the Old Testament, and in particular, this book is, as we talked about a month ago, when we were looking at Hebrews. This one is pointing ahead to the coming gifts of God. And and, uh, the one that jumped out at me, of course, is the the real true peace offering is Jesus himself. He is our peace. And as we look at at this chapter, we see that God gives specifics. And there's a couple of them that, you know, at first I didn't catch it. But after I reread it, I said, okay, wait a minute. There's something here that's a little different. And and we need to talk about what's going on in the detail And again, for the people of Israel, we'll get into that in a few minutes, people of Israel, these are all new instructions. Every every last one of them is new because they've come out of Egypt where they had different kinds of worship present. There was no priesthood at all in the sense of God's ordained orders. There were household heads of family. But you might remember that Joseph married the daughter of a priest of the Egyptians, uh, Potipharah. And and mm. so we're looking at a culture in which priests had roles. And when you roll over to the time when the people started selling all their livestock and their land and finally themselves into slavery during seven years of famine in Egypt, the two groups that were exempted from that cost because they were provided for through the offerings of the people and the, the royal household, if you will, were the the Pharaoh's family, the household of Pharaoh, and the priests. So for the people of Israel, their culture already has in its mind, priest is a different category. But the distinction here in what we're doing with Leviticus is God has said, these are the priests. I have chosen for myself the family of Levi. And out of the family of Levi, priests will come from the family of Aaron. And you don't pick the priests, and no priest elevates himself. I've set together a routine, a route to follow. And the reason for that is, very simply stated, I am am Yahweh, your God. This is why you do this, because I'm your God. It's not like we have to understand this. It's no. Our God said do this, so we're going to do what our God said, even when we may not catch it all. And part of what's going on in this chapter is the distinctions being made about the peace offering and what you can eat and what you can't eat and what's burned and what isn't burned and all those things? So we'll get into those details in just a little bit here.
0: And so, as uh, and, and you you're, you basically hit my second question, but just want to make sure because we look at chapter one, the sin offerings; chapter two, the grain offerings. Uh, what makes uh, what would you say as we begin? What makes a peace offering different than the first two? When you're as you look at this.
1: So the peace offering can be offered at any time by anyone, but it's not in response to an offense. The peace offering is somebody comes to the house of God and offers a peace offering. And in in the ritual of the peace offering, the individual is going to go through the process of bringing the offering. He kills it himself, but the priest collects the blood. And and so in this instance... The killing of the animal is done by the one who makes the offering, not by the priest or the Levite. And so there's specific indication that the the peace offering originates with the will and action entirely of the person making it, not with an offense of the law that must be remedied. And so we see a, a distinction here in that way. And then, again, the other one is, as we look at these particular animals that are brought, mm. the individual bringing them will lay his his hand upon them, on the head of that animal. And this is an action that says, I claim the animal is belonging to me, and now I give it from me. I'm not bringing somebody else's gift. This one's from me, and its purpose is to establish peace in our community according to God's plan and God's command. So...
0: That's a, you know, that's very helpful as we look at the distinctions because it can be very difficult, especially when you get into sin offerings and you get into other offerings. You're kind of like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting lost in the weeds and guilt offerings and so forth. But it is helpful to see this as distinct, but yet it builds off of other things. You know, it, the, the burnt offering is it appears that it's kind of a. a it goes in an uh, order where you have mm-hmm. the burnt offerings and then grain offerings and then peace offerings. And we get a little bit of a feel for that. So, like you said, and you alluded to this before, there's an order that we all need. I mean, this <laughs> it goes with everything in life. You're like, OK, what's the order? What's the procedure? And although we want to you know, be creative at times and all that. We always want that beginning stage, and that's one of the strengths I've seen in Leviticus so far, is that there's no questions about what I do next. There's no questions about what I bring, what my role is, what the priest's role is, um, the purpose of this. We see forgiveness, for Pete's sake, in the Old Testament, which is a lot of fun. And now we come to this point where we get to what we all need, which is peace, as you said, points us to Christ. Anything else before we begin, Pastor?
1: Um, no, I'd Hit a couple of things when we get to them. As I mentioned, there's a couple of distinctions that jumped out at me when I read through it a second time.
0: Love it. Love it. So let's let's go through it a third time. Here we go. Chapter 3 of Leviticus, verses 1 through 5. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord Yahweh and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood of the, on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Okay, like you said, there's a number of things you want to highlight. What do you have in the first five verses?
1: Well, first of all, notice that this is a real change. We now have the peace offering can be either male or female. Hmm. The previous offering, sin offering had to be male. The sin offering was pointing directly to Jesus as the one who is going to be offered for the sins of mankind. And the, the rest of the requirement, it's without blemish or spot. That's still there. You know, we, we bring to the Lord the best. And in the sense that it's, again, I, I go back to this every time I deal with the issue of, of sacrificial rituals in the Old Covenant. Um, basically what God says is, you pick the best of your herd, the best of your flock. As, as a person living in a rural community, I understand the concept of bloodlines. And what God is saying is, you take this year-old male for the sin offering, what you're doing is you're in, investing your potential future agriculturally in God. Because you've taken this unblemished animal that you would have picked and said, wow, let's raise that one to be the, the ram for our flock. Let's take that bull for the, the herd that we're going to have for future livestock. And you take that best one and you bring it to God and you invest your future in God. And, and this is the same requirement. It's, it's without blemish or spot, but it can be a male or a female. And as you're looking at it, it doesn't have to be a year old. There's no specific about the age of the animal, just that it's in perfect shape. So this one is far less restricted and so far more people can find in their own livestock supply an animal that meets the requirement for peace offering without, I'm going to use the word, extensive search. Now, that's, you know, that's based on my understanding of agriculture and having lived in rural communities much of my life. I, I realize that you know, if your flock's bigger, you got a whole lot more choices. But you're also given more options to choose from with this peace offering. And so because it's male or female... That can be offered. The peace offering is not only more inclusive, but it's aimed at a different objective. Its objective is to build peace in the community of believers. There's already peace with God and the believer because the sin offering has been offered. But there's still the focus on the right sequencing. The man or woman who's offering the offering, in this case it says he okay, mm-hmm. bring it to the, the place where the priest is, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's still the place where offerings take place, at God's appointed site. And then when he puts his hand on it, it says, this is mine. He then kills it, but the priests have to be ready. There's a total involvement of the community. The man's bringing the peace offering, but the priest has to be ready with the basin to catch the blood. The person who brings the offering kills it himself slits the throat, opens up the arteries, and the blood comes out. But the priests have to catch the blood. Mm. And they throw this blood then against the side of the altar to remember that blood atones for sin. They're not going to eat the blood. Back in Genesis, after the folks got off the the ark, and God says to Noah's family, go ahead and eat the meat. I give it to you to eat, but don't eat the blood. God Mm. is still reserving the blood as something not to be eaten. The meal itself is going to include certain parts of the body of the animal that's being offered, but the blood is taken right away, gathered up by the priest, and then thrown against the sides of the altar where the cooking will take place. So it starts off with this wider inclusiveness, male or female, any animal, doesn't have to be year old, you pick it. You've come in peace, your sin is covered, now live in response to the peace you have with God. By extending the peace to the community, because the peace offering is going to be burnt, but the meal is going to be then shared with the family of the priests and the Levites. So this is a community-building activity tied to the fact that you've already been made at peace with God through the sacrifice for sin, now you build community. So this is you know, it's a, a, a wider focus than the other offerings in what it does for the congregation as the people gather for worship.
0: One question that did come in, and this was an email that's kind of for in general, is when you have the peace offering, that they bring this animal um, to the tent of meeting. Are we talking about, because when you look at the tabernacle mm-hmm. and page 139 of the Lutheran Study Bible, that's I've always tried to highlight people to see that visual are we talking that this individual brings this animal to the holy place, or are we talking they go all the way to the most holy place and make a handoff at that point? How would you because you have you have the tabernacle area, the focus of worship, the rounds altar, so forth, and then you have within that is the tent of meeting. And I, you know, I, I think I know, but I want to make sure that I know because I know Pastor Tice knows most of these things. We're talking about they do this transaction in the holy place or the most holy place.
1: This, this transaction is going to occur at the courtyard as they come to the entrance into the courtyard where ah. they stand where there is an altar to sacrifice because what we have in the holy place is only an altar of incense. See,
0: there that's what I was thinking no, too. Yep. Okay.
1: There's no altar to burn uh, a sacrifice other than incense and this offering although it's intended to produce a sweet smelling savor to the Lord is not incense. So it'll be outside in the what we call the courtyard or the Mm -hmm. forecourt it does not enter into the the tent itself it's at the entrance to the tent so that the the one killing the animal is going to be standing out where the bronze altar is and that's the Mm -hmm. altar then that the priest will take and throw the blood against so the blood itself is on the outside the whole the high priest is the only one who enters into the holy of holies Mm -hmm. or even the holy place really with blood for a sacrifice it's already been sacrificed, and he carries it into the, the most holy place and puts it on the, the mercy seat, the covering uh, between the cherubim there on the Ark of the Covenant. That's the only time blood goes into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. All the other blood stays out in the courtyard.
0: And so this is a, a relatively public event, if you think oh, yeah. of it that way. Mm-hmm. This people are seeing this happening. They're 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 seeing the symbolic nature of it. And then what makes this one, like you said, unique is it isn't just meat that they're gonna go burn up outside the camp, which is what we have with others. But this one, this is actually meant, like the grain offering, to be fed to the priests. Um, and, and so that, that's an interesting dynamic to me. Explain that to us. Why, why is that an important dynamic, or how would you look at that? that, that they actually feed them with this meat and the peace offering?
1: Yeah, the, the uh, realization that what God says is as the people of Israel are leaving Egypt and then in the wilderness, and they're going to enter the land of promise. He has made it clear that the inheritance for the Levites is to serve God, to serve the temple later, the tabernacle or the tent of meeting at this point in time, and also then from that family come the priests. But they are not going to get their own territory. When they get into the land of promise, now as they travel through the wilderness, they travel in tribal quarters, one quarter in front of the tabernacle, one quarter behind the tabernacle, one quarter to the right of the tabernacle, one quarter to the left of the tabernacle as the priests carry it through. But those are the Levites carrying the tabernacle because you've already got the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. So the Levites are traveling as a tribe of God's people that's already in the other tribes. In the promised land, what's going to happen is the Levites get various cities, but those cities are scattered throughout the 12 tribes, land-wise, so that you can always have a place where the priest and his family live, and the way you then do this is you provide for them in those cities later, not here in Leviticus, because they're all in one cluster walking through the wilderness. You have the community in which there is a town or a city where Levites and priests live so that you can go there and you can give the gifts to them. And so the, the sharing of the food, because the Levites are in service to God, their inheritance is not going to be land with pastures and flocks. I'm going to get a little city in in the uh, Land of Cana later, the you know the gardens there those are theirs as well, but but they don't have this agricultural livelihood. Their pattern of behavior is going to be teaching and instructing people with the Word of God, and so the community is supporting and feeding the priests and and this also means you you eat together. It also is a way of saying, you know even though that's a Levite, even though that's a priest, we still have the same standing with each other that we serve God together. We just have different roles. And I think that's really a key thought for us in the Christian church today, is that the Lord has given gifts to his church. Not all people have the same gift. The Lord has made callings to people in his church. Not all people have the same calling. But we all have the same Lord, the same Father. There's one baptism, one God and Father of us all. We all share the same faith. And so in, in our relationship with God, we are all co-equals. In our function and in, in roles in life, we have different functions but our standing with God is equal through Jesus Christ. Um, so this is part of what's involved with the sharing of the meal. It's another way of saying, yeah, we may have done the work to raise these, these animals, but the priests and the Levites are doing the work to share God's truth with us. So God feeds all of us through the same sources, spiritually and physically. So that's, that's really a big part of the shared meal going on with the priests and the Levites' family, that, that it's God who provides all our needs, physical and spiritual.
0: Now, I just want to make sure I clarify and I heard you correctly, because i that's one part I didn't read a lot of in chapter three, because it's more reference later on of the sharing of the meal. Not so much in chapter three here, is when they would have this meal, would this incorporate the normal layperson and the priests and Levites, or is it just the Levites who ate this meal?
1: Part of, part of it would have been the priests and the Levites. Um, okay. others, other sacrifices would have been... I'm going to use it this way. A portion was eaten right there, and then okay. the remainder was taken home to the family of the priest. And, gotcha. And okay. I'm going, to, okay. I, I'm going to ask a simple question. Have you ever been at the butchering of a hog?
0: I have not. Yeah, I have not. Okay. I'm, I'm missing out, I know. I've heard this many times, but go ahead.
1: Okay, but the people <laughs> of Israel didn't eat hogs, but they did eat They did eat cows. Do you know how big a cow is?
0: Yeah, yeah I've been around them, yes.
1: You know, you can't eat all that in one meal. You can't cook <laughs> all that in one meal. So, see, this is part of what's going on. The, for those who don't live in the agricultural community, you, walk, you go to the store and you buy a packaged piece of meat, and it's called a roast or a steak or a loin. Okay. How much of the cow are you getting there? Not very much. Okay. Mm. So keep in mind that what's going on. Also with the lamb or the goat, again, there's more meat there than one person can eat at one time. So when, you, when you've when you killed it, you've already committed it to something. You can't get it back other than to offer it as a sacrifice. And that's kind of the key word there to the sacrifice. It's gone. You don't get it back. But by sharing the, the meal product out of the animal, you both give the sacrifice and share support with one another. And, you know, in the life of the church, this is It's all there. And again, I say this partly because we suffer from this ongoing reality. When you don't live in a particular culture, you totally miss the implication that everybody in the culture gets from a simple statement. And and the simple statement here with the first peace offering, if his offering is an animal from the herd, male or female, this is different. We can select out of this group or that. You know the 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 red heifer that needs to be offered on one occasion. Well, the thing about a heifer is is you've removed that from the production of any future livestock. Right. Yeah. Well, if you if you offer a male and you have other males, you haven't really impacted yourself too much, uh, which is why you know, I was talking this past week with a with a horse breeder, and uh, this horse breeder made the comment, Yeah. Uh, we, we take the males and we sell them, but what we really want are the females so we can build our, our brood mare stock. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, in the agricultural community, there are different factors that are involved, but the the key thought here is, as you look at what you're going to burn, you're, bar- you're burning the fat covering the entrails, and all the fat that's on those entrails, and then the two kidneys, and you said the long lobe of the liver, remove with the kidneys, and burn that on top of the altar as a burnt offering, which is on that wood on the fire, this is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Because you're giving up the fat, and the fat has resources in it. It's, it's got energy, it's got strength. what's one of the reasons fat burns is it's got those calories in there. Um, mm-hmm. but, it, but it also says you're giving to God that which culturally and um, nutritionally is, is highly prized. Um, If you want to get a really good steak, they tell you, look for one that's well marbled with fat. Why? (laughs) Because it's good. Okay. (laughs) I
0: love it. And I tell you what, the last, I know this is going to happen quite a bit with the offerings. I tend to get a little hungry as we're talking about the offerings today. And then you bring up a T-bone steak. Oh, Lord have mercy. Okay. So as we look at this, I want to touch more on some of these things. After our break, we are studying Leviticus chapter three with Pastor Stephen Tice. And we'll be right back. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO.
1: I'm listening to you on my Kindle here in Great Falls, Virginia. I just want to thank you so much for the beautiful music, and I'm so thankful for you. God bless you and keep you in your good work. Thanks again. Bye-bye.
0: To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542.
1: Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best
0: gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. And welcome back. We are studying Leviticus Chapter 3 with Pastor Stephen Tice. And as we look at this, we've slowly gone through because we wanted to make sure you lay the foundation. And something that struck me, and I want to hear your thoughts on this also, Pastor, is that in my mind, what I would have envisioned, uh, without digging deeper, is that they bring the sacrifice, they bring the cow, cow, which is kind of crazy to think about butchering that thing right in front of everybody, or the sheep or the goat, and you bring that to the, the front of the tent of meeting and you just, okay, here you go. That's my offering, end of story. But no, there was participation by the lay people. And then there was participation by the priests. And so I found that to be fascinating. And I'm trying to grab my, and we've been talking about this from from the beginning of Leviticus, and we'll continue to do so, trying to grab my arms around a little bit of how does that, quote, relate to us today, or how can we, what, what, what does that mean for them? What does that mean for us? Any thoughts on how you'd break that down?
1: Yeah, the comment I made earlier is we all have various vocations from God. But in, in the church, we all have the same standing of peace with God through Jesus Christ. And a big part of this is, is to recognize that the nation of Israel, as we think of, you know, we hear the word nation, think politics. This was an extended family, and they all had the same ancestor slash father, Jacob. And so we all have the same father. We are all children of, of God together. And so we have this relationship that is, an extended family, and at the same time, it's a, as you mentioned, a participatory activity. It's, it never, never has the church intended it to be, you go to church, the pastor tells you everything you need to know, you're all filled up, now you go home and that, you know, you don't do anything else because you got filled up. No, you're coming to the house of God Sunday mornings, generally, some churches have Saturday night, Monday night, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, whenever the people of God can gather, they gather and so what they're doing is, is they're gathering together around the gifts of God, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the Word, the gifts of the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, baptism, absolution. The priest gives those things out. The pastor gives those things out in our, in our communities. And the congregation receives, but the congregation shares it right back. We, we have a phrase in our liturgy that goes like this, The Lord be with you. And then the response is, and also and with you. And with your spirit.
0: <laughs> That's true, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's there, too. And I think, I think the, the key understanding is that the pastor speaks, the, word be, the Lord be with the people there, and they say right back to him, and the Lord be with you. Because if the Lord isn't with the pastor, nothing's going to happen. And if the Lord isn't with the people, nothing's going to happen. And it's not like, oh, we need this one person to bring us the magic. The priest had an office, but the promise was from God. The pastor has an office, but the promise is from God. But mm. what does Paul say in Second Corinthians? He says, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which means every person in the church, pastor, lay member, age doesn't matter, gender doesn't matter, occupation, education, abilities don't matter. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what's going on with the sacrifice is this is the peace that God gives. God gives the peace. The person sacrificing doesn't give peace. The priest who catches the blood and throws the blood against the altar doesn't give peace. Mm. They share in the peace that God has provided by these, these rites and rituals in, in Leviticus. And we share in this peace that God has given us by the, the true lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And so we, we function in a, a back-and-forth community. And the minute we forget that, you know, it's so easy to see the church hierarchically. Well, this person is in charge, and then there's this group under them, and these, these people do this, and so the, and then you get to the, the, the old misapplied phrase, the, the, the low man on the totem pole, uh, because the church isn't a totem pole. You know? now, human structures can, can look that way, but, but the church isn't structured that way. Jesus calls for shepherds to tend to flock, if you ever noticed in a flock, the, the idea is that everybody's equal, the shepherd's going to care for all of them. They don't all do the same thing, but they all get the same care. And so we look at, at the life of the church, and we see the, the, the peace offering, it's together. And everybody's going to share in what's, what's brought, because the one who provided it all is the same giver that you and I have giving us good gifts today. So,
0: so let's keep moving forward, sharing. because there are some connections I want to make. Okay. With exactly what you just said, but I also want to get through because we feel like we have some repetition that happens here. And yes. I think there are some distinctions, as we know, because first, it's the cattle. And now we'll read about the uh, the, the sheep as we yeah. look at the next few verses, verses 6 through 11. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of his offering, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys and the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. So there's clearly a distinction, cattle to sheep. There's some, a lot of, most of it's the same, but any, any distinctions or highlights you have from these verses?
1: Well, there, the, uh, another factor that shows up here is, Cattle graze in one kind of land and can live off certain plants. Sheep can graze in the same area, but they will only get nutrition out of certain plants in that same area. And there mm-hmm. can be a spot where you can graze with sheep, but cattle really won't produce. So what's going on here is you also have a, a inclusiveness that no matter where you live in the land of Israel, whether you're up in the Rocky Heights where only the goats can eat, or if you're down in a smooth, soft pasture ground where you're, you're able to graze sheep, but you know, you can't grow any hay, or if, if you've got the kind of place where you can grow cattle. and So all the people who make an offering are included. But then the distinction now with, with in particular with the sheep is the way the Creator has made the various animals. And the Creator points out that in this particular lamb, you're going to find a fatty deposit at the base of the tail. And this is tied to the production of lanolin and and preserving the quality of wool. uh, That's the byproduct of sheep. And so there's extra fat in the sheep that allows it to have a good, healthy condition. And this area must also then be harvested, if I can use that phrase, in the offering of the lamb. You don't just do the, the fat that's in the intestinal areas around the the kidneys and the liver. You, you get it off the back, the tail base of the lamb. Notice neither, neither animal previously mentioned, male or female, uh, from the beef category has that kind of a fat deposit, so it's not needed. But this one, mm. you're getting mm. all the fat that's readily accessible, not marbled in with the muscles. Uh, a, a fatty deposit can be pulled out by itself. So... The, the uh, clear indication is the Lord says those who offer the sheep don't get the excuse of saving the fat from the sheep. And you know, living in a land where people produce oils from animal fats, this is you know, a significant source of, of uh, animal fat that can be rendered into an oil or some kind of similar product. So the Lord's calling for a sacrifice. And so all the fat that's valuable... Is being taken and given to God.
0: So, as we look at that, is there any other uh, distinctions that we would see in with the sheep? I mean, there's there's obviously a connection there with uh, the sheep and the shepherds and everything else, because you don't have you don't have any of that language of a cattle uh, in the New Testament. So, I was trying to just rack my brain because you have the sheep and the goats at the end times. Um, anything else that pops to mind as we look at this distinction of now to the sheep?
1: Well, uh, the, you know, the, later on in, in Scripture, we find the psalmist talking about that we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Hmm. The mm-hmm. connection, generally speaking, with herding cattle and herding sheep is, is different. The individual involvement with a particular animal in a day-to-day routine for a shepherd is going to be far more intense than than watching a cow, and I say that just because you put a cow out to graze, and, and at nighttime you can just leave the cow out in the field. It's true. And the practice, as Jesus points out, is you know the, the shepherd stands there, and as the sheep come into the sheepfold, he's tending them as they enter, and in the morning he calls out by name, and they follow him. So there's there's a closer connection, generally speaking, with a shepherd and and the sheep, um, and the space involved, the amount of room and, and the other thing is you may have had this this nice little lamb that you brought from the flock male or female without blemish again this is keeping in that distinction. It can be either male or female. You may have sheared this one once or twice. So see this animal has has a perhaps a more intense relationship with the one making the offering And so we look at those things and and uh, we recognize that, it's meant to be a personal activity. It's not an impersonal thing. And, you know, I'm going to step on some toes here, but that's okay. I don't mind doing that once in a while. Um, this is one of the big challenges for us today in an electronic age, when for sake of convenience or for sake of accurate bookkeeping, uh, people have gone to an electronic transfer of an offering mm-hmm. in the church. Now I'm not saying that's wrong, but I am saying it certainly is very impersonal, because Sunday morning you're not giving something uh, directly to the Lord, or you know in a worship service where you contribute it, and you know if if you do it with an electronic check, you know it's, it's so important to to come back to remembering that we do these things in a way that says we are giving to God out of thankfulness, not we're doing a business transaction. And, and this is definitely not a business transaction it involves a sacrifice when you're looking at your livestock but it's not a business transaction it's a personal involvement the one bringing the offering kills it I mean, you, you don't you don't say well here's my sheep take it away no you kill it yourself this is this is direct involvement there's no no way you can say well you know I wasn't part of it, but I, you know, I took, no, you were part of it. You had to be part of it. If you weren't part of it, it wasn't an offering. And and that's that's a challenge. I remember uh, having conversation with uh, the late uh, Reverend Herbert Miller, Herbert T. Mm-hmm. Miller Jr., who was for a period of time uh, first vice president of the synod and had been president of the Southern Illinois District when I served the parish there. And... Um, You know, he talked about a trip that he had taken along with others from the Southern Illinois District years ago to South Africa, to the Lutheran Church in in South Africa. Uh, We had formed a mission partnership with uh, one of the Lutheran Church bodies in South Africa. And he had been to a Reformation uh, Sunday celebration and then had gone to another regular Sunday service. And he said that when it came time for the offering, it took almost 20 minutes for the offering to be gathered because each individual personally carried their offering to the altar. And as they mm-hmm. came, they were dancing and singing. As they came down the aisle with the offering, they then laid before the Lord. No one went through gathering it in the basket for them. They all personally carried their offering to the altar. And, you know, culturally, that was how they had seen the offering as being a participatory event. And, and we see that here in the sacrifice. In many of our Lutheran churches, other Christian churches in the United States, parts of Europe, a gathering a box may be left at the door. You drop it in there. With COVID, we've stopped trying to touch things. So we've used, you know, drop it in the, the offering plate. Years ago, we had the Kling Doodle, the little bag on the end of a stick, and the usher would come down the aisle and extend it down. And if, you know, you happen to doze off, there was a bell at the bottom and he could shake the stick and the bell would ring to wake up for the offering. You know, but but you didn't go anywhere. You stayed sitting. And today, many of us still have this. You don't do it. The idea that you had to participate fully to make the sacrifice, Mm -hmm. I think, instructive for us today. And I, I, I would get in trouble if I proposed, especially with COVID restrictions. I proposed to the folks at Emmanuel, we have everybody bring their offering up to the altar during the time of the offering and place it themselves there. Um, again, partly because of COVID issues, partly because of mobility issues, Yeah, there's all kinds of things. Where, and if you're not accustomed to doing something, to change just for the sake of change is always wrong. And, Absolutely. And, and if you can do it to, to teach something and make a point, then maybe you do it once a year. You know, Maybe on Thanksgiving yep. people do that. It, it makes the point. Uh, and helps people to see why you do it. So, uh, again, this is part of what's, what's involved with the man, the individual bringing the offering, male or female, from the flock without blemish. And if he offers a lamb, he offers it before the Lord, lays his hand on the head. It's mine. I claim it. Possession. And then he kills it himself, and the priest catches the blood. And then that fatty tissue around the tail now, again, this is detail from the creator who knows exactly where all the best fatty parts are. So he says, hey, here's my instruction. Take the parts I tell you to take because this is what I want. And, and the sacrifice is yours. You choose to make the sacrifice. And now that you've made the choice of sacrificing, I'll tell you which parts I want from your sacrifice. And then the other parts, part of it gets burned in the, in the meal. The, you know, And this is, you mentioned the aroma, uh, the whole tasting and wanting uh, my wife and I were out walking the other day, and we happened to walk past a restaurant that was maybe a block away, and they were grilling meat. And mm-hmm. that smell was coming out through the vent in the kitchen. Couldn't see a thing, didn't see the sign, but immediately my stomach said, you should have some roasted meat. Um, <laughs> and, and see, that smell is triggered with memories. Absolutely, Memory and smell are so closely connected. What is God doing here? He is creating a smell memory For the whole people of Israel, every time an offering of this fat is made, every time they smell that, even when they're cooking in their own house, they're going to have a memory connection to sacrifice at the tabernacle a peace offering that God is giving them peace. And they were part in the process of sharing that peace. And you get to the New Testament, and and Paul says, "Greet, Greet one another with a kiss of peace. You know, we don't do yeah. that much in this church anymore, and at least not in North America. But, no, but this, this this idea that we share something, and part of the part of the benefit of a church that uses incense, as we talked about previously, is that it leaves a smell on you. You I mentioned earlier the blood being carried. Uh, blood has a particular odor. Mm-hmm. When you gather a bunch of blood together, it smells, and you can you the next time you smell that smell, you remember blood. And, and see, all these things are tied to you participate in the sacrifice. The one who brings the offering cuts the animal's neck, kills it, so the blood drains out. And possibly, can't guarantee it, possibly blood squirts on them. What I do remember for sure is when the high priest is consecrated, and the book of Numbers talks about this in detail, and when Aaron's family is made priests, the blood is sprinkled on them. Mm-hmm. And then the robes of the priest continually carry blood stains from the time of their consecration until the time they stop serving, their robe is bloodstained. And, and so the blood of the sacrifice covers the priest as well. And so here, there's a chance that the blood of the offerer of the peace offering is going to get that same blood on him. And, and there's, there's an element of connection, I think, that needs to be highlighted. The blood will touch you. You don't need it, but the blood will touch you. And when we get to, when I get to the end of our session, if if I remember to say it, ask me about the blood touching you again. Okay.
0: I will. I'm writing it down right now. So as as you look at this, a few things. First of all, is the meaning of the sacrifice. When you are when you're caring for the cattle, I mean, I haven't met many people who have a cow as a pet, but you do meet people who speak about the sheep uh, in their in their farm as more of a pet. And I'm not trying to make too far of a connection there, but there is that person personal touch that happens with the sheep and I suppose a goat as well. Secondly, that here when they made the sacrifice, you know, they made the sacrifice, gave it over to the um, priest. This would take time. And with time shows you the intricate nature of how everything happens, and it gives you a depth to the meaning of what's happening as well and that's something like you said that we do miss in our culture when it comes to being living sacrifices, as it says in Romans mm-hmm. um, because we just you know give our offering and move on and, and so forth now i'm not I'm not saying we need two hour long giving offerings or that we're going to do a song and dance when we go forward. That'd be, that'd be horrible. If you watch me dance up to the front of the altar, that'd be terrible. But, Mm -hmm. um, but it is something for us to reflect on is how can we make sure that we understand the meaning of when we give and the sacrifices we make because of what the Lord has already done for us. And finally, you talked about memory connection. I couldn't help but think about the rainbow that, Mm -hmm. you know, the rainbow in Genesis It very clearly says, when I see the rainbow, I'll remember my covenant. And here, when I smell this, I will basically remember my covenant. This is pleasing Mm -hmm. to me. And so the Lord works with that and then gives us something physical, just like we would talk sacramentally too. But I want to get to that later because we have about five minutes left. And I want to get through these verses. And I I will talk about, you know, the blood that touches us. And I also obviously want to talk about the Lord's Supper. So verses 12 through the end if his offering is a goat then he shall offer before the lord yahweh and lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting and the sons of aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the lord yahweh the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys and the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Now, real quickly here, Pastor, what are some of the mm-hmm. distinctions on this one, especially the idea of the fat is the Lord's? That's a new one there.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the fat is the Lord's. And, and this is tied to the fact, partly, um, there are those who say the cultural setting was such that uh, the people saw the fat as, as a source of power and strength, and so the, the best cuts of meat were given to the king, and, and he would save for himself what he wanted. And, and so this is, in one sense, God saying, I'm the one that gets the best stuff. And the power lies with me. It's it's also a way of saying, the Lord has made a claim on you. And the claim is that he gets the best, and you're his. Now, this is, you know, this is I'm going to use a psychological move here. This is another way of God saying, I'll take the fat for myself, but I'll give you everything you need. So that now that you've given me the fat, everything's provided for you will never run out. You've already gave it. You've already given it to me. You gave it to me. I've got it. I've got it all. When you need it, I'll give what you need. Instead of saying, you have to keep it so that you can have the power. No, the power is mine. So give all the fat to me, because it's all mine already, and I'll give you what you need. And so we have that, that strength. And then notice that it says, you shall not eat fat nor blood. Now you're back to that Genesis blood promise. Uh, but the, the blood is going to be tied directly to the sacrifice of God for us. And, and Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, shedding his blood. But keep in mind that the people of Israel were also told that if they had a seeping wound or they had some kind of a a wound that wouldn't heal, that blood was coming out as well as pus and other infections. That made a person unclean. This blood doesn't make them unclean. If this blood Mm -hmm. touches them, this blood doesn't make them unclean. And they're told if they touch a dead animal, except they just touched a dead animal. There's a place where touching the dead is not... Defiling, but cleansing. But it's only where God has made a promise.
0: So make that connection to us today as Christians.
1: Yeah, we, we have sin and death in us. It's in my body, it's in my spirit because of, of corruption. And yet the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. And so God touches me with his blood. He cleanses me. who are these? These are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, I know for sure that if you wash something in blood, it doesn't come out white. (laughs) It's true. Except in God's God's realm it does, because God says so. God says, I cleansed you with blood. I touched you with the blood of my Son, and it's sprinkled on you. My high priest has been sprinkled with his own blood, the Lamb of God, and now that blood covers you. And so when we have the Lord's Supper Jesus Explicitly says, when he takes the cup after supper, the third cup, the cup of blessing, and he lifts it up and he says, take and drink this cup. This is my blood of the new covenant. Now eat it. Now drink it. Now drink blood. Now blood is given to us. Now it gives life. Up until this time, God says, nope, the blood's not for you. 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 And Jesus comes along and says, this blood is for you. And so we have a, a clear statement that says, I kept the blood back from you until the fulfillment of all the sacrifices was done. Now the blood's yours.
0: Pastor, as you look at this chapter, we have about 30 seconds. Uh, how would you highlight, or what would you, how would you describe this chapter and what it means for us?
1: I would say that the peace offering has this distinction of it, its total inclusivity. No matter where you live in Israel, what kind of grazing land you have, what kind of flock you have, herds, sheep, goats, Rich, poor, everybody can bring one, male or female. Everybody can be part of the offering of peace. Everybody can share in the peace of God. And that's intentional. And the same is true in the church. The peace of God is for us. You know, not everybody has the same personality. And sometimes, you, you know, you get upset. Some people are melancholy. Others are calm. Some are angry. Some are, some are excitable. It doesn't matter what your personality is. You have the peace of Christ. And we all share it together. It doesn't take away our personality. It comes from outside of us. And so the Lord blesses us with this in community to share his peace, no matter what our situation is.
0: Pastor Stephen Tice, Vacancy Pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri, bringing us God's strong word from Leviticus chapter 3. Pastor Tice, thank you again for bringing the gifts of Christ this morning. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, the Lord brought a peace offering to help prepare for a meal on Pentecost, booths, to Passover, to give his people peace. And what's something that we do in the church today is before we have communion, we repeat the words of Jesus in John chapter 20 when he says, peace be with you. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And we respond with amen, showing us the inclusivity of God who brings his peace to you, no matter where you are or where you came from. It is all because It is Christ's peace, not our own. I'm your host, Brady and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and may he keep you safe in the palm of his hands.